This is Trey Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching. I pray that it empowers you, encourages you, and motivates you to know God and to be who He's created you to be. Tonight, we're just going to continue what we started last time, and we're going to get in and understanding the importance of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And in verse 13, Jesus said, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Notice the words that Jesus said, Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Have you, have you settled it on the inside of who Jesus is to you? I'm so thankful to know that it's settled, that Jesus is our Lord and He is our Savior. I am so thankful that it's settled to know that He's our healer, He's our deliverer. Who do you say that I am? If we were to go out and and just walk the streets and ask them if they've heard of Jesus and, and who they think Jesus is, some would say He's a good teacher. Some would say He was one of the prophets. Some would say that He is Savior. Some would say... But just because we say something doesn't necessarily mean we believe it. Do I truly believe that Jesus is my deliverer, my protector, my provider? Do I truly believe that He is my Savior? Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, now we've learned that whenever Peter, it was revealed to him who Jesus was, you know, I, I remember the, the night that I gave my life to the Lord. There was something revealed to me that had never been revealed before. As I've heard about the character and nature of God, I might not have known Him as healer until I began to hear the word on healing, and then something was revealed, and now through the years and through the process, He's become my healer. I might not have known Him as my provider, but I heard the Word and something was revealed and now I know that God is my provider of all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Who do you say that He is? The only way that Peter understood who Jesus was is because it was revealed by the Heavenly Father. We can't grasp all that is ours as children of God with our intellect. It is only when it is revealed by the Holy Spirit of God. To walk in the things of God, especially in the day and age in which we live in, it's going to take the revelation, the revealing power of the Holy Spirit, of who Jesus is, of who God is, for us to walk in victory, no matter what is going on in this world. But who do you say that He is. What degree of His character nature has been revealed to you and been revealed to me? And am I walking in it? He says, now because you have something revealed, I give you the keys 
of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Now, he, he calls us the church, the church being the called out ones. He says the church is, remember, that's not a religious word. It's a governmental word that whenever the emperor or Caesar would call out individuals, he would bring them near to here, and then he would reveal his heart to them, and they would go out and execute his plan in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, those who answer my call, and they come near to here, and they take what I'm saying, and they go out and execute, that is the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against them, because they're not just coming, but they're coming with an expectation of doing. See, we are the replacement. Whenever God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, I want you to think about this. He revealed all of his will, all of his heart, all of his mind to Adam. But when Adam sinned, Adam was separated from God. Now, because of what Jesus did, we have the opportunity to come back into relationship with God and to hear the heart of the Father, just like Adam did from the very beginning, expecting us, God expecting us to go out and execute what we hear in God's Word. He says, so the ones who come near to hear and the ones who are going to do, I give the keys of the kingdom to them. God always talks differently to people who believe and people who do than He does who people that just hear. I want to say that again. God speaks different to people who hear and do compared to people who just hear and don't do. Remember Jesus, he referred to it as a foolish person and a wise person. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, it says the wise person hears God's word and he does God's word and they build their life upon the rock. Say, I'm a wise person. So you see that when he gave us the keys, he was, he was expecting us to use our gifts, our calling, our assignment to go into our sphere of influence with the keys. And he says the gates of hell, gates represent the, the enemy is the one who had the power that held people behind the gates. And with the keys, he says, you go into that territory and you unlock the gate and you let them know that they're free. He is expecting us to go into our spheres of influence with the keys of the kingdom and set the captives free. What are we doing with the keys that he's given us? He says, now whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Whatever you forbid, he says, I'm going to forbid. Whatever you allow, I'm going to allow. There's always an earth and a heaven connection. For his will to be done on earth, just like it is in heaven, it takes you and I operating in, in agreement with what his word says. See, the word believe comes from two different words. Be, leave. Be means to live or exist, and leave means accordance. So when I'm truly believing God's word, I'm living in accordance with what God says. So an indicator that I believe is I'm in agreement and I'm in accordance with what God's word promises. So what are we doing with the keys? Look at your neighbor and say, what are you doing with your keys? Now you can see in Luke chapter 11, verse 52, notice how Jesus addresses and the importance of, of knowledge. When the Father revealed it to Peter, things changed. 
When God reveals to you and I things about God, He does it with the anticipation and expectation that our life is going to change. So if my life has not been in the process of changing, then I'm not positioning myself to reveal. God is not trying to make things hard for us. He's not trying to keep things covered for us as His children. He wants to reveal His Word. He wants to reveal what our inheritance is. He wants to reveal the keys that we have. Keys represent authority. Keys represent power. Keys represent locking and unlocking and shutting and and opening. It, It represents authorization. He's saying, I'm giving you the keys and I expect you to do something with it. The keys of knowledge. Do I have knowledge of what keys I have? Understanding of the name of Jesus is a key. What am I doing with that key? Understanding of the power of the blood of Jesus is a key. What am I doing with that key? Understanding of my righteousness in Christ Jesus is a key. What am I doing with my key? I might not know you that good, or I might not. If you just hand me a ring of keys and you don't explain to me what they are, I can dance. I've got keys. I can shout. I've got keys. I can go to church and open. Praise the Lord and bless the Lord. I got keys, but I don't know what they're for. But whenever I have the keys revealed to me by the Spirit of God, then things begin to unlock in my life. What are you doing with your keys? And Peter, he had the Father revealed to him, and Jesus said, Now you have the keys because of what's been revealed to you. Now look at Luke eleven fifty two in the New King James. It says, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. Now, when, whenever he's talking to the lawyers, this isn't what we think of lawyers. These are people who were doctors of the law. They understood the Ten Commandments. They had grown up studying the Ten Commandments, and he, he, he's reprimanding them, and he says, Woe to you, because you haven't entered in with the knowledge that you have, and you've hindered others from entering in. What are we doing with the knowledge that we have? I don't want to be a hindrance to somebody knowing God. I want them, I want to take the keys and hand it to them and let them know this will unlock the rest of your life. You know, uh, Heather dealt with a, a situation a couple of weeks ago and the Lord, I was just thinking about it and praying over it. And there's a, there's a water bottle there and it was it was just like, If I have an empty water bottle and I stick it in a tub of water, that bottle of water, none of it's going to get in it unless I open up the cap and let the water in. And it's the same way in the things of God. We can be around the things of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the healing of God, the provision of God, the victory of God. But if we don't open up our cap and open up our heart, even though we're in the environment, it'll never get in us. And we will push down. We will try to try to enjoy it, try to get it on us. But God wants it to get in us. He wants us to open our heart. He wants us to open our mind and experience everything Jesus died to give us. He doesn't want us to leave anything on the table. Look at your neighbor and say, don't leave it on the table. He wants us to open our heart and open our mind and let what he has for us in. Let it in. That's what belief is. I'm letting it in. I'm living in accordance with what God has promised in his word. I'm letting it in. Say, let it in. 
Now we can go on. We see in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Now we're talking about the keys of knowledge. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Notice Jesus speaks differently to the ones who believe him that are living in accordance with him. He says, if you abide in my word, you're going to know the truth. The word know there is an intimate word, like a husband and wife know each other. He says, when you're intimately acquainted with my word, in other words, you're hearing it, you're receiving it, you're doing it. He says, then you're going to know the truth and that truth that you're intimate with is going to make you free. So if I never get intimate with truth, I never take it from my head to my heart and apply it to my life. Even though I'm saved, I live bound. And that is not God's heart for my life. He says, I'm speaking to those who are willing to believe. And so I've got to ask myself, is that me? Am I willing to abide in his word? And if I'm willing to abide in his word, then I'm going to know his truth. Not with my head. I'm going to be intimate in my heart with it and I'm going to apply it and I'm going to live in freedom. So I've got to ask, am I believing his word, living in accordance with his word, or am I still holding on to things that maybe I've been taught, maybe what I heard in church, maybe from religion? Listen to this, Matthew 15, verse 6. So for the sake of your tradition, the rules handed down by your forefathers, you have set aside the word of God, depriving it of force and authority and making it of no effect. In other words, you're not using your keys. You care more about your religion and tradition than you do the keys and you make the word of God of no effect, no force, no authority in my life. So do I have a part to play in his word being strong in my life? Do I have a part to play for truth setting me free? Do I have a part to play for his authority to be real in my life? And the answer is yes. If I abide in his word, I will know the truth and the truth will make me free. How hungry do I want to be free? We can be freer than what we are right now. We can be freer physically, financially, relationally, mentally, socially, emotionally. We can. He wants us to continue to grow in our freedom. The thing about our relationship with God is it's always a process. It's a daily process. And we grow by what we're hearing and what we're applying, not just what we've heard. We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. There's no sitting still. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 13, verses 11 through 12. And he replied to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets and mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has spiritual knowledge... You've got to ask, is that you? Is that me? To him will more be given and he will be furnished richly so that he will have abundance. But for him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So if I haven't positioned myself for the word to be revealed to me, even what I've heard will be taken away. But those who have spiritual knowledge that I'm hearing with the intention of doing, I'm positioning myself, I'm the called out one, I'm coming near to hear. He says, even what you have, you will be abundantly supplied. You will have even more than what you have because you're using your keys, the key of knowledge. Look at your neighbor and say, use your keys. 
Go with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and I, I want us to get in to some things here, talking about our inheritance. And as we're, we're listening to this, I, I want us to listen through the ears and through the mindset that there's always more in the things of God. That God has more for you and I than what we're walking in right now. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. In Him we also were made God's heritage portion, and we obtained an inheritance. Say an inheritance. So we started out learning about the keys of knowledge. The keys, what am I doing with the keys? Do I, do I know about the blood? Do I know about the name? Do I know about my righteousness? Do I, do I know that I have authority on earth? Do I know that when, whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven? What I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. What am I doing with the keys? And right here he says, in him we also were made God's heritage portion. We obtained an inheritance. The word inheritance in the Greek means heirship or possession or possessor. It says, in him we obtain an inheritance. In him we possess an inheritance. And it goes on to say, for we had been foreordained, chosen, and appointed beforehand in accordance with his purpose. Say, I've been a chosen according to his purpose. Who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his own will so that we who first hoped in Christ, who first put our confidence in him, have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also who have heard the word of truth. Now listen to this. In him you also who have heard the word of truth. So have I heard the word of truth, the, the glad tidings, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in and adhered to and relied on him. We're stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. The word stamped is the same word as sealed, is the same word as branded. So when I heard the truth about Jesus, about salvation, about any parts of the gospel, it, will, it starts with salvation, that I am stamped, I am sealed, I am branded with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Spirit of God is the guarantee of our inheritance. And he goes on to say the first fruits, the pledge, the foretaste, the down payment of our heritage and anticipation of its full redemption and our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of his glory. So whenever we receive, I want you to think about where you're at right now in your heart. When I hear the truth, at some point in time in my life, when I've heard the truth about Jesus, I believed what God's Word said about Jesus and me needing a relationship with Jesus. It says that the Holy Spirit is my inheritance. He is the down payment. He is the foretaste. He is the first part of what I'm going to receive in eternity. It is the down payment. He's wanting us to experience heaven on earth. He says you've got a foretaste. You have the nature of God. You have the life of God on the inside of you as your inheritance. It is the starting point and the power of God, the life of God, the nature of God that is in us, that is our inheritance. It is not enough. Um, it, it, it's not everything that we're going to receive in eternity. It's just the beginning. And it is enough to empower us to live a life of victory. It is enough to keep our body functioning. It is, it is the down payment isn't going to stop us from aging. 
But it is enough to keep us walking in victory while we're here on this earth. He says it's the down payment, the foretaste, the Spirit of God is my inheritance. Say, it is my inheritance. He is my inheritance. Think about it. The nature of God, it is my inheritance. I'm a possessor of the nature of God. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says that in Him and by His Word, I become a partaker of the divine nature. So His Spirit is my inheritance. His Word is my inheritance. His Word reveals what I have as a child of God. This is the will of God, the inheritance of God. So if I want to know what Jesus died to leave me, then I've got to read his will. He says, so what is my inheritance? The Spirit of God is the guarantee of my inheritance. And when you're a child of God, and those of you who are, who are watching, wherever you're watching, the Bible says when we receive Jesus, we know that we have eternal life. We don't guess, we don't hope, we know. Do you have that knowing? And I'm asking everybody at the sound of my voice, do you have that knowing that you have the sealed promise of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, the nature of God in you? That is our inheritance. Say, it's my inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1. Now listen to what Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. And this is something we pray for y'all on a, uh, a lot on a consistent basis. But listen to what he, he prays for three things right here. He says, For I always pray to the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that He may grant unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge, say knowledge, of Him. By having the eyes of our heart flooded with light. So our, the eyes of our heart, it's, the, it's our spirit man. He says, I want your, your inner man, the real you, to be flooded with light so you can know some things. You can know the key. Remember the, the keys of knowledge that Peter, it was revealed who Jesus was because the Father revealed it, the knowing. You're knowing that Jesus is protector, healer, deliverer, provided, is revealed when we position ourselves. And Paul is praying for, for them. He's praying for us that the eyes of our heart are flooded with light. We flood our heart with light by God's Word, by God's Spirit, in the presence of God. He said, I'm praying that your spirit is flooded with light so you can know something. And he goes on to say that knowledge of Him, the eyes of your heart is flooded with light so that you can know and understand, this is the first thing, know and understand the hope to which He has called you. Now, this isn't some patty cake prayer that Paul is praying. This isn't just some, um, you know, bless your cereal and uh, your grass. No, no, no. Paul is praying with a fervency for the church at Ephesus. He says, I'm praying that your heart is flooded with light so you can know and understand the hope to which you are called for. He's saying, now, hope is a confident expectation. 
Called means a summons. Call is not like, well, God's just kind of, you know, he's kind of tickling, you know, your heart. And if you get a chance, you know, come on over. And No, no. This word call is an authoritative word. Paul is saying, I pray that you know there's a confident expectation on the inside of you for what you're called for, for what you're created for, for why you're gifted the way you're gifted, why you're wired the way you're wired. He says, I pray that you know what you've been called out out of. You've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been called from sickness to health and healing, from lack to abundance. God always takes us from one place to another place. And Paul is praying, I pray that you know, you understand, you're confident of why you've been put upon this earth. So this is a, this is a heartfelt prayer. And he says that you will know the hope of your calling that you'll have a confident expectation in what you're called to do. Matthew 22, verse 14, it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Kind of like the called out ones. God wants a relationship with everybody. Everybody is created in the image and likeness of God. Everybody has the capacity to walk in relationship with God. But it's only those who answer the call that choose to be chosen that come near to hear and receive the knowledge of his word, which gives you the key to go out into the world and walk in heaven on earth. He says, I pray that you know What's your hope, the the hope of your calling? And he goes on to say, and how rich is your glorious inheritance in the saints, his set apart ones. That's the second thing, that, that you know the hope of your calling. You know how rich the glorious inheritance is. Rich means a full supply. That you and I, he wants us to know what our inheritance is. He wants us to know what Jesus died to give us. He wants us to know the importance that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. The greater one lives on the inside of us. He wants us to know that we have an inheritance. And because of the inheritance of the blood of Jesus, we're able to approach God boldly and confidently. He wants us to know our inheritance, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we belong in the presence of God. And God wants to answer our prayers the same way he answered Jesus' prayer. He wants us to know as he was, so are we in this world. He wants us to know how rich this inheritance is. And we could go through and see how the inheritance is the earth. The inheritance is the spirit. The inheritance is the name. The inheritance is the key. The inheritance, there's so much to our inheritance as Paul is, Paul is praying for you and I, saying, I, I just believe that they're going to see more and more and more and more of their inheritance. The third thing. And he goes on to say, so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. There it is again. To those who believe. He says, only the person that chooses to believe God's word over what your family has taught you, over what you see in the natural, you choose to believe God's word. He says, then we will understand and know the unlimited surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. So I've got to ask myself, am I choosing to believe what I'm learning in God's word? So Paul is praying for us that we understand who we are. 
We understand what we have, and we understand the power that is on the inside of us. 1 John 4, For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And he goes on to say, The greatness of his power in and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is named above every title that can be confirmed, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. Now keep going, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, and I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but this is very important. But God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He is saying that when you and I, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and whenever Jesus died upon the cross, you know Jesus did that for us. When Jesus went to hell, he did that for us. Jesus did not have to redeem himself from sin. He did not have to defeat the devil because the devil was no match for God. He did that for us. He did not need to get his healing. He is the healer. He did not need to die for provision. He is the provider. He did not need to die to make himself righteous. He is the righteous one. He did that for us. When he died, he did it for us. When he defeated Satan, he did it for us. When he was resurrected, it was done for us. So it says, when he was quickened, we were quickened. When he was raised, we were raised. When he was set at the right hand of God, we sit at the right hand of God. The right hand always represents authority, dominion. That is the greatest act of power ever demonstrated. When God raised Jesus to the right hand of the Father, and he says, we sit with him in heavenly places. Now, he is the head, and we are the body. Correct? So when Jesus, when Jesus was raised, the body was raised. Remember, the head has the name that is above every name, and so does the body. My head is not Trey and my knee, Bill. My head is not Trey and my hand, John. If I came up to you and said, hi, my name's Trey, meet John and Bill, how you doing? We would think that guy is really strange and he is out, out, out of, just out of his mind. Right? No. The head is tray, so the hand is tray. The head is tray, the knee is tray. The head is tray, the stomach is tray. The head is tray, the feet are tray. The head is Jesus, and we are in the body somewhere. You might be a stomach, you might be a knee, you might be a foot, but all of the body has the same right to the name that the head does. And God is saying when he raised Jesus and he gave him the name that is above every name, he raised the head, he raised the body. Now the body is upon the earth getting the will of Jesus done upon the earth. The head is in heaven, the body is upon the earth. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter 1, let's go back and look at this. Verse 20 which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, dominion, power and dominion, and every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which already come, and has put all things under his feet. Where are the feet? 
on the body, correct? And has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church. Are we the church? A headship exercised throughout the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all, for in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete, who fills everything everywhere with himself. So when he was given the name that was above every name, he says that he is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. When we ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart to be our Lord and Savior, we come into the body. We come into the family. We become the church. The church is not four walls. The church are the ones who heard the call, answered the call, and we develop. We grow up into Christ Jesus. So, so think with me the importance of you and I as children of God growing up. What if I put my head on my kids when they were five years old? Or if I put my hands upon a one-year-old? That would look really strange, right? What if I put my legs on a one-year-old? That would look really strange, wouldn't it? I mean, you get it. It's kind of like John and Bill here. We got, long, we got these long legs. What if, what if we put uh, a, a size, a grown person's head upon a newborn baby? That would look really odd. But that's what we look like in the body of Christ because we haven't taken time to position ourselves to know our inheritance and to apply and to grow. So that's why it's important for us, every part, to grow simultaneously together. That's why I believe God is stirring a hunger in the body of Christ around the world to go after God and to walk in all that Jesus died to give us once again. He did not die here for himself. He did it for us. He wasn't raised from the dead for himself. He was raised from the dead for us. He did not overcome Satan for himself. He did it for us. Now, he expects the body to operate in the same power as the head. Did Jesus walk in power and authority when he lived upon the earth? Yeah, he did. Then, Luke chapter 9, he gathered the 12 together and he says, Now I give you the same power and authority. Now you go and do the same thing I did. So the 12 go and they did what Jesus did. Then he gathered the 70 and he gave, him, gave them the same power and authority that he walked in. So now you have 82 operating in the power and authority, 83 counting Jesus. Now listen to what John 14 says, verses 12 through 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, pause, is that me, is that you? The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I want to read it again. Most assuredly, I say to you, put your name in there, I say to Trey, he who believes in me, so I've got to ask, do I believe in him? The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these do, uh, than these he will do, because I go to my Father. If Jesus would have stayed upon the earth, his works would have just gotten greater and greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. But remember, 
Revelations 1, verse 17, 18, he says, I was alive and then I was dead. He says, but now I got the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and I'm alive forevermore. So he took the power and authority away from Satan. Matthew 28, verses 18, then he turns and he says, now all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now I give it unto you. Now you go. John 14, Jesus says, now the works that I did, now you do also. Whatever you ask, the word ask is the word require or the word demand. Whatever you demand in my name, I will do it. Because when we do things in the name of Jesus, it, it is as if Jesus himself is doing it. When we do it, when he says, you go in my name, he's saying, you represent me. Represent the will of another. That's what represent means. I'm going to represent somebody. I'm going to represent their will. He says, now with my name, you go and you do what I do. So when we pray in the name of Jesus here on the earth, he gave us his name to get his will done. He gave us his name to put the enemy in his place. He gave us his name to get his will done on earth just like it is in heaven. But he is not on the earth physically. We are. He is in heaven. We are on earth. And he says, I'm going to ex exercise and execute my authority through the body who is the church, who is my family. That's you, that's me, that's us. He says, now you go in my name and whatever you demand in my name, I will do it. The name that is above every name. In the last few days, the Lord has been stirring in me the importance of that name again. The name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. That is a key that will change our life forever. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. He says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those things in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we believe in the name... When we act upon the name, when we use the name of Jesus, we're not just putting it on the end of our prayer to bless our food. That's fine and dandy. We're not just putting it on the end of our prayer before we go to sleep. In Jesus' name. No, when we take the name of Jesus, it is a name that calls attention in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And Jesus says, the same way I get the devil's attention, the same way that I have been given the name that is above every name, now you use my name and get my work done upon earth just like it is in heaven. Remember your gift. Remember your calling. Remember the graces? He says, take the key and go into that territory and you use the name. I, this, all these, I could sit up here for hours, but all these illustrations, all these examples, all these stories, this has just been flooding over my mind of grasping the importance of the name. When I first started rodeoing professionally, I, I mean, when I, this is one of the first things that I learned was the power in the name of Jesus. And I was such a mess whenever I gave my life to the Lord. And I was, when I was getting set free from stuff, I was full of so much fear. I had this one Bible. And it looked like a lawnmower had ran over it. I mean, and all I knew to do was just say the name of Jesus because fear would just try to grip me. And I would just sleep with it on my chest. And I would just say, in Jesus' name, fear you be gone. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And, and I would say that until I went to sleep. Till I wasn't tormented any longer. 
And I remember the name of Jesus, and I just began, because I needed everything. Jesus said, if I sought him first, everything else would be added unto me. So I was putting him first, and in Jesus' name, I needed sponsors. I, I had one horse, two horses at the time, and, and I needed provision and everything. And so I just began to loose. What you bind on earth is bound in the heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in the heaven. And so I just started loosing. I said, in Jesus' name, sponsors come to me. In Jesus' name, the name that is above every name... Satan, you cannot hold back my resources. You cannot hold back what it takes for me to be everything I'm called and created to be. In Jesus' name, I loose it to come. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And my very first sponsor, I, I, I started doing that, and it's probably three days later, I had my first sponsor call me. And he called, and it was a feed store that they provided everything for my horse and all of my equipment for the whole first year. And if you don't know what that, that's a lot of money. <laughs> And then I had a vet that said, probably a couple weeks later, a vet who did all of my vet bills for all of my horses for the next several years. Just the power of the name of Jesus. The name, he says, you take my name and whatever you command in my name, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And I remember there'd be times when I didn't have the money to go to vets, or I didn't have, and, and my horse blew a, 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 ten, a tendon, a ligament, there in his ankle and it was bowed out and in the natural that's a six month off for that horse you can't use them for six months and I remember I was in college and I just go out there and I grab it and I put my hands upon it and I just command in the name of Jesus tendon you get straight you line up in the name of Jesus and that tendon just goes and just shrunk back down because the power in the name of Jesus. I was at a, a, one of my favorite when I was at this roping in, in New Mexico. And this, I roped this steer and I ride out the back of the gate. And this steer runs right into the fence. And this Indian, his arm was in between the fence and the gate. And it just snaps his arm just right in two right there. And the bones, you could see the bone laying on top of each other. And, and I'm asking on the inside, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to pray for him. And I get off and I grab the guy's arm and I just said, I command you to line up and straighten up in the name of Jesus. And you could, I could just feel the bone. You could just see it and it just come right back into alignment. And I could go on for hours and hours. The power in the name of Jesus. Have we been using the key like he wants us to use. Remember, I don't have influence and dominion and authority in your territory. You do. But in my territory, am I using the key like I know that I should be using the key? The name that is above every name, it was given to Jesus. Jesus earned the name by defeating Satan. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 and God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it the cross. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore these his children share in flesh and blood and the physical nature of human beings, he himself in a similar manner partook of the same nature that by going through death he might bring to naught and make of no effect him who had, notice had, the power of death, that is the devil. He brought him to nothing. So when Jesus disarmed principalities and powers, when he paralyzed Satan, when he brought him to nothing, he earned the right 
right to have the name that is above every name because he defeated every principality, power, ruler of the darkness of this world, wickedness in heavenly place, brought them to nothing. And he's saying the same power that the head has is the same power that the body has. The same way Jesus overcome every principality, we have the right and the inheritance to put Satan in his place. He does not, he does not have the power to torment us unless we let him. He does not have the power to win unless we let him. Use the name and put him in his place. When our feet hit the floor each and every day, every devil in hell should tremble because we understand we have keys and we're going to use them. We know who we are, we know where we're going, and the same power that my head has is the same power that my knee has. The same power that my head has is the same power that my hand has. The same power that Jesus has is the same power that I have to execute his will on earth just like it is in heaven. The name that is above every name, it was given to him. He won it by defeating Satan. Another thing is he inherited the name. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. See, the name of Jesus, it's a part of our inheritance. Say, my inheritance. The name that is above every name. He said, I want you to go in my name. I want you to go as my representative and whatever you command, it will be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. He's saying, I want you to use my name. See, when you use the name, there's a transference. We are using his name on earth, but Jesus is interceding for us. And when we say in the name of Jesus, it is like Jesus takes our prayers and he says, I'll take it from here. And he approaches the father and we know that Jesus gets his prayers answered. So when we say in Jesus name, it is just as if Jesus himself is talking directly to the father. That's why he says, whatever you say in my name, it will will be done for you of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus takes care of our business in heaven and we take care of his business upon the earth. But for too long, we have been living way below our privileges as child of God. For too long, the devil has been running roughshod over the body of Christ and it is time for that to stop. We have an inheritance and that inheritance is the spirit of God. We have an inheritance. Part of that inheritance is a name that is above every name. We have an inheritance that is greater than what we've been walking in. But that's changing. Say, that's changing. Now, this takes practice. It takes, it takes meditating on the Word of God. And when I say meditating, I'm not saying put on yoga pants and cross your legs. and mm, That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking, meditate means to mutter. And I know that was a gross mental image picture, and I apologize about that. But it means to roll it over in your mind and, and talk it out. And it's like the cow that's chewing the cuds, and, and you meditate and swallow it and bring it back up. And you're renewing your mind. Now, now listen, until you are convinced until you are sure, until you know. Remember, Paul is praying that I, I pray that you know and understand. Because if I hesitate, then I'm not convinced. If I, if I kind of withdraw a little bit, then I'm not convinced. And that's where I have to know myself. I was telling Heather this just last week. There's just a part of my heart that I felt like it was just, there was doubt there. There was, and it just, it just irritated the crud out of me. 
That's not who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God, and I, I live by faith, and whatever He says, that's what I believe, and that's what I'm going to act on until that, that assurance came back in my heart, until that knowing comes back in your heart. Remember, if you have a hesitancy, you're not ready to act. If you're not convinced, you're not ready to act. If you're hoping that it works, you're not ready to act. You can't stand in the middle of a storm or tornadoes coming right at you and hope and wish that it works. No, you better be convinced that you have the name that is above every name and whatever you command that thing to do, it has to obey the name. Not you, not me, not in ourselves, but in the name. Are you convinced? Are you sure of your inheritance? Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, "...in many separate revelations, each of which set forth portions of the truth, and in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers, in and by the prophets, but in the last days He has spoken to us in the person of a Son, whom He appointed heir," say heir, and lawful owner of all things. Pause. He's talking about Jesus. That he is heir and lawful owner of all things, also and by and through who he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, arranged them in order. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outrain, the radiance of the divine. He's the perfect imprint, the very image of God's nature upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by His mighty word of power, when He had by offering Himself, listen to this, accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, He sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high, taking a place in rank by which He Himself became as much superior to angels as the glorious name which he has inherited, the name which he has inherited is different from and more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, established you in an official sonship relation and kingly dignity, and again I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Notice he inherited a name that is more excellent. So he had the name given to him. He won the right to use the name, and then he inherited the name. And he is the lawful owner of all things. He is heir of all things. And we are... The, uh, uh, let's just read this. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. We, we will come back to the importance of the name in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question. Jesus, in Matthew 28, Jesus walked upon the earth and he operated in power and authority. Correct? Matthew chapter 28, he says, I, he, he rose from the dead. All power and authority has been given unto me and now I give it unto you. Did miracles, signs, and wonders continue after Jesus was raised from the dead? Look at Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. Stay with me here. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. 
Now notice this. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What I do have, what I do, what's been revealed to me is there's power in the name of Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus. He saw the way that he dealt with things. He heard when Jesus said, the same power and authority I have, I give it to you. Now, Peter, he, they had walked by the gate, the man placed by the gate, beautiful, day in, day out, day in, day out. But something was revealed that day. And Peter said, now what I have, I give to you. And God is wanting to reveal our inheritance, the name, the blood, our righteousness, all that God promises us so that what we have, we can give. We can't give something we don't have. But when we have revelation, when we take ownership of the power of the name of Jesus that gets a heaven's attention, earth's attention, under earth's attention, when we have revelation that we belong in the presence of God, that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we are made holy, we are made right, what we have, now we can give. We go into the sphere of influence. We go into our areas that we're called to and we have the key and we unlock. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in the heaven. We let the captives know you've been set free. What I have, now I give unto you. How much of the inheritance do you actually have? It's all ours, but it only becomes, we only take ownership when it's revealed. When it's revealed, then it's up to us to act upon it. We have to take it from our head to our heart to applying it in our life. Peter said, as I have, do I have an understanding of my righteousness? Do I have an understanding of the power of the blood? Do I have an understanding of my angels as I have? So I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk and the man was made strong. Now it stirred up the whole town. I mean, everybody got stirred up because this young, this man had been placed there his whole life and he had been begging and all of a sudden he's made whole. And so the religious people bring uh, Peter and John in there and they set them in the middle. And this is where we pick it up. Acts 4, 7, chapter 4, verse 7, 10 and 12. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power and by what name have you done this? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He was saying, don't think that I did it on my own. All I did is use the name. And because of the name of Jesus, Jesus, the one you crucified, Jesus, the one who is dead, but the one who God raised up in his name, I did this. And there's no other name in all of the earth by which men can be saved except the name. Take the name and go into your workplace. Take the name and speak the name of Jesus over your family, over your kids, over your finances, over your animals, over your calling. Take the key of the name and get his will done on earth just like it is in heaven. It is part of our inheritance. Say it's my inheritance. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. We're going to finish strong here. 
Christ the Messiah is therefore the negotiator and mediator of an entirely new agreement, testament, covenant, so that those who are called and offered it may receive the fulfillment of the promise, everlasting inheritance. Since a death has taken place which rescues and delivers and redeems them from transgressions committed under the old first agreement. What is he saying? That you and I, Jesus was alive. In order for an inheritance to be passed along, somebody has to die. And Jesus died, and we received an everlasting inheritance. What, what did he die to give us? That's what we're discovering. We have an inheritance. Let's keep going. Galatians chapter 3, verse 18. For if the inheritance, say inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So the inheritance is by promise. Verse 29, Galatians 3, 29, And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we have an inheritance and we are heirs according to the promise. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Now I'm reading these scriptures because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Galatians 4, 6, and 7. And because you really are His sons. Say, that's me. God has sent the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. God has sent the Holy Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, a bondservant, but a son. And if a son, then it follows that you are an heir by the aid of God through Christ Jesus. You really are sons. Now, when he says sons, he's talking about daughters too. There's neither male nor female in Christ. In the anointing. So when he's talking sons, he's talking of male and he's talking of all of us, men and women. He says we're sons and he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, letting us know that is our inheritance and that we are sons and daughters of God. And his spirit is calling father, father. And if you're a born again child of God, you know in your heart, he is not just God to you. He is your father. He is your source. He is your protector. He is your healer. He is more. There's more to it than what we've been walking in. Part of our inheritance is what he has, we have. His name is our name. His blood is our blood. His right Righteousness is our righteousness. His authority is our authority. We have an inheritance. We are an heir as a child of God. Keep going. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. We're getting ready to be done, so stick with me here. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. Remember, Paul is praying, I pray that they understand. They know the hope of their calling. They know that they're called children of God. They know that they're called victorious warriors. They know that they're called triumphant. They know that they're called more than conquerors. They know that they're called the head and not the tail. They know that they're called in the image and likeness of God. They've been called out of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, and so we are. The reason that the world does not know and recognize and acknowledge us is that it does not know and recognize and acknowledge him. Beloved, we are even here and now God's children. We are here and now God's children. That's a part of our inheritance. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For the spirit which you have now received, now received, I've now received it, is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship, and the bliss which we cry, Abba, Father, Father. The spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his his heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. We are heirs of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ. So when Jesus died, he left us an inheritance. So what he has is what we have. We're an heir of God and we're joint heirs, fellow heirs. So if, if, if a family member was to die and say, okay, Johnny and Susie, you are joint heirs. That doesn't mean Johnny has more than Susie has. It means what Johnny has, Susie has. Jesus is saying, what I have, you have. You're an heir to God, and you're a joint heir. What he has, we have. Heather and I, we have accounts. My money is her money. Because we are joint heirs, she spends it like it is her money. Why? Because we are joint heirs. What Jesus has, and I spend... <laughs> she's looking at me like, that's what joint heirs do, right? <laughs> And so what Jesus is saying, y'all, I'm going to look over this way now. And so <laughs> what Jesus has is what we have. He's saying, my inheritance is your inheritance. So when he took infirmity and sickness and the curse upon his body, and he released his blessing upon us. He released health and healing upon us. He's saying, this is your inheritance. My spirit is your spirit. My healing is your healing. My blessing is your blessing. My wisdom is your wisdom. My courage is your courage. My heart is your heart. My confidence is your confidence. My armor, the armor of God, is now your armor. What I have, you have. Now go as my representative, and as I am, so are you in this world. We have an inheritance that we have barely even tapped into. But how do I discover more of of what Jesus died to give me, the reading of the will. I've got to spend time reading his will. Remember, I'm a called out one. You're a called out one. We're sons and daughters of God, and it is our inheritance. We have the Spirit of God. That's part of our inheritance. We have righteousness. It's part of our inheritance. We have the name that is above every name. That's a part of our heritage. It's our inheritance. It's our inheritance. We have more than what we've been walking in. Amen? I want to pray over you. Father, I love you so much. And I just ask that you continue to reveal the heart of the Father to us and that we, we take it. Father, we, we go get it, that we're not, we're not being passive, that we're not being lackadaisical, we're not just going through the motions, but we take the power of the blood and we go and we possess the land. We take the name that is above every name and we possess the land. We take the nature of God in us and we possess the land, that we walk in all that Jesus died to give us and we don't leave anything undone. We don't leave any stone unturned. We declare that 
every business, every building, every dream, every partner, every idea, every passion, it comes about. It comes up from the inside and it's manifested to the outside all for the glory of God. That we take the keys of the knowledge of the kingdom of God and what is ours and we go and we unlock and we set the captives free and I command them to be loosed in the name of Jesus. That their eyes see, their ears hear, their heart is receptive and I call them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, I declare that our inheritance, there's just an understanding, a revealing like never before. And I keep hearing, go get it, 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 go get it. Go and get what Jesus died to give us. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen.